there is something that has troubled me for some time in the body of Christ. And so I'm going to talk to you as an elder, not just in this house, but in the kingdom. I have a word from the Lord when I finish what I'm going to tell you out of here. But I have been deeply troubled at the lack of conviction in the hearts of those that claim to be his. I've been deeply troubled at the lack of the ability to stir by the Holy Spirit to bring us to a sorrowful repentance. Much of what has been brought about over the last several years, probably even 20, <clears throat> has watered down terribly the attitude of repentance. And now instead of being a sorrowful turning away from and turning back to God, it's just a real quick little phrase. And I'll just say it like it is. Well, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And that's it. There's no conviction behind it. There's no recognition of the price that was paid for me to even be able to say that. And there's really not much stirring that pricks my heart of how lame and weak that is. Repentance is a sorrowful turning away from. <coughs> Excuse me, the sin life. The life that had had trapped me. Last week, our teens did a magnificent job in the drama they presented. And at the end of that drama, we saw the character of Jesus draped over the young lady that had been tormented by all manner of things. And the character of Jesus, while draped over her, took all the beating, took all the punishment, took all the rebuke, took all the hatred, took everything, and protected her in the process, totally and completely protecting her. I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to be mostly in this chapter. And pastor, we love you. He's in Atlanta. He, they, he and Miss Diane have had a great time celebrating Maverick's first birthday. And if you've not seen any pictures of Maverick, then you don't understand. <clears throat> but I am confident of this. When they return, he'll show us pictures. And Miss Diane will have an album. And we get to see him. And then they will tell us how cute he is how sweet he is, how all the things he is 
and especially pastor because his name is Maverick Zachary. So we bless you, Pastor. Those of you who are online, and I hope I still get to come back after he does get home. All of you who are online, I want you to pay considerable attention as well. I'm going to talk a little slower. I'm not really going to be preachy, <laughs> unless that changes. <clears throat> Verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. God is giving us some examples in, in having Peter to tell us <coughs> these things. And I want us to grasp what it is that he's bringing us. Timothy, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 1 and 2, you don't have to go, she'll put it up here. <coughs> now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Back to Pete. So in Peter's letter, he's saying that the destruction of these that are doing these doctrines is imminent. In verse 4 he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of, and get this word, a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. Bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, he's speaking of Lot, that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries or noble men and women. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. <coughs> but these, like natural brute beasts, be made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand 
and will utterly perish in their own destruction and will receive the wages of unrighteousness. As those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, they are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. They are enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practice and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he, Balaam, was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, isn't this a wonderful, wonderful teaching I'm bringing you? For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. They cast a lure out to draw out of righteousness those who have been freed from and to bring them back into an unrighteous attitude. That's me. That's, I'm not reading it right now. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. While promising liberty, while promising grace, they pervert the very essence of grace. While telling you about grace, and using it in an unrighteous manner, they are trapping you in their own trap from which they are in existence. And I'll prove it. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. There are those who would say, if you have backslidden, you never were really saved. What I just read you says they were. I didn't elaborate on it. I didn't expound on it. I just read it. And what I read says, having escaped, now being back into and trapped by, the latter end is worse than what it would have been. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. This is hard, but it's true. A dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, like I said, it's tough stuff. But it's about time somebody talks tough stuff. Because false doctrine has perverted the cause of Christ in, a, in, an, in an awful way. False doctrines 
Anything is okay because you are totally and absolutely under grace. Now, the truth is you are totally and absolutely under grace. If. And I always throw in that little two-letter word that troubles everyone and trips us up. Because there's an if that is important. And the if has to be followed. It's the same if that God gave to Solomon when he said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And this is left out of that quote nowadays. Because it says, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If my people, he gives an identification of who he's talking to. Now I understand that's in the Old Testament and now we have Jesus and we have the fulfillment of the law and we have the absolute end of all of that. We have the fulfillment because Jesus took it and paid the absolute ultimate price. He did not remove the law. He completed the law. The first testament had to be over before the second could be implemented. So he took the first testament, nailed all the ordinances that were in it to the cross, and took, overcame every one of them. <clears throat> and then ascended into heaven at the resurrection, and he sits at the right hand of majesty on high. Now the Bible says he's there, ever interceding for the saints, waiting till all his enemies be made his footstool, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death or eternal separation from the Father. Not physical death because he already defeated physical death. He's talking about the death that was proclaimed over Adam. The day you eat it, you shall surely die. You see, we're still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And few there be who actually continually eat from the tree of life. Even though the tree of life is in front of us. Oh, let me, let me remind you of something. I, I just, in, in seeing Miss Adrian, and we're going to have some more prayer. Seeing Miss Adrian, if you miss Wednesday night and you didn't catch it online either, one of the finest teachings, one of the most potent messages on speaking the language of the Spirit. Speak Jesus. She delivered it with, with extreme grace and goodness. And I encourage you, if you haven't heard it, hear it, listen to it, go online. You can go to CCOTH on Facebook or uh, YouTube. And I encourage you to listen because it will help you with what I'm preaching. It really will. And if you've listened to it once, I encourage you to listen to it at least 10 more times because there's so much stuff in there. So much stuff. And, and you might want to especially hear it because she tells on herself a couple times and you need to know about that. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. I hope you don't leave on me because I really do have a good word. <laughs> In Hebrews chapter 10, I, I put down, I think, verse 26, but I, I want you, Joe, to back up to 22. Good girl. 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's baptism, and that's the renewal of the mind by the Holy Spirit. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day, capital D, day approaching. What's he talking about? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is approaching rapidly. So he says, so much more should we be coming together as the body of Christ, kind of what Pam was talking about, even in the community body of Christ, not just Christ church. But so much more should we be coming together in the community as the body, establishing that we are, in fact, all in the body of Christ. And letting that be clear from our hearts, so he says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now hang with me on this because it's tough. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries, that's adversaries of God. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much more Worse punishment. Do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted, insulted the Spirit of grace, giving way to declare that grace has covered and covers my continual sin? is an insult to the work of the cross and to the work of grace by the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is writing here to the Hebrews is that in this situation, he's letting them understand that when you willfully and continually operate in a sin nature, and you try to declare that it's okay because I'm under grace, you are trampling Jesus' blood, smiting him in the same measure he was smitten at Calvary, tormenting his work, his power, and his love, and spitting in his face by carrying on in your sin nature, operating as if it's all okay. I'm saved by grace. But if we sin willfully, now how is it? Is that, a, is that a misdirection? Am I bringing you something that isn't true? Am I showing you something that really doesn't exist? What is it that we're looking at here that we need to see in a greater measure? Well, Galatians says this. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> I say then, walk in, verse 16, 
Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, capital S meaning Holy Spirit, and the spirit in you, the Holy Spirit that is in you, against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you don't have to worry about the law. You don't have to consider the law. You don't have to even think about the law. Because the law now isn't the law of Moses, but it's the law of Christ, the, the, the full liberty of Christ that has been written in your hearts. There's no longer this ordinance out there that is printed that you have to look at, thou shalt not. Now it is printed in your heart and Holy Spirit will remind you from day to day, from day to day, that certain things are not right and shouldn't be operated in your life. Until you resist Him long enough, you sear your conscience and there's no longer a conviction and nothing is sin anymore. And the minute you sear your conscience and there is no sin, you have already failed and turned your back on the way of truth. And according to what I just read you in Hebrews, you crucify afresh every day Jesus. So his crucifixion ceases to be an atonement and becomes a constant aggravation. Because as long as we understand an atonement, we will come repentant. If we do not understand the atonement, we will sear our conscience and not repent and be lost in our sin and not know it because our conscience has been seared. So let's see. What else does the Galatians have in it? Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those who practice, remember these words, walking in the spirit, you don't fulfill, walking in the flesh, you do, practice such things, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So then Paul goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, that which is alive in us by the Holy Spirit, that fruit which ought to be working, that fruit which ought to be ruling, that fruit which ought to overtake everything that I just read you, that fruit that will lead you into all truth, that fruit that will give you an understanding of what is righteousness, that fruit that will carry you through to the holiness of God, that fruit that God intends for you to have by His Holy Spirit, that fruit 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Let's provoke one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So he goes on and he says, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law. Remember I told you the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1. No, 9. I'm sorry. Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You and I were justified. So let me ask you, why being justified would we revert back to any of those common things that will destroy our lives? Now I made a few of you nervous, but that's all right. Hopefully you'll take it home and it'll work on you. Seriously. Seriously. Because the thing I read to you is that he said in the scripture, he said that there is no more sacrifice for sin. You can't go back and start all over, but you can start afresh. See, that's the key. I once had a fellow come to me and he was, he was certain that he had no place anymore of repentance. He had no place anymore to come to Jesus. He had no place of safety, no place of forgiveness, that he had turned his back on God and committed adultery and he was lost forever. Fortunately, I was able to tell him what the truth of this word says, which I'm telling you now. But another friend of mine who did not receive, who would not listen, who could not believe he could be forgiven, who fell into his own filth and died in a car wreck with a broken neck, walking around for 15 minutes in the snow, trying to find a place of repentance, but because, again, a false teaching had nowhere to go because he couldn't believe he could be saved because they took the first part I read you and they perverted it and messed with it and made him believe he had no place and he couldn't be restored. So we go to John, 1 John. Thank God that John outlived the rest of them. <clears throat> Aren't you glad for John? 1 John 1 and 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. <coughs> if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
So what is darkness? Everything I just read to you that is a result in a relationship with sin nature. That's darkness. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and him. I added the and him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, how is it that if grace is grace and there is no sin anymore, did John write this? Was John ignorant? Or do we look at the whole of the truth of the gospel instead of picking and choosing deceptive and deceiving heresies and false teaching? I hope you'll look at the whole of the gospel. So he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, if I had told my dad he was a liar, it would not have been pretty. I actually one time threatened to stand up against my dad. Yeah, it was a real dumb thing. <laughs> Fortunately, my car was in a circle driveway with a key in the ignition. And I gave the perfect example of submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Me being the devil gave the example of flight. I ran so fast, jumped in that car, started it up, and moved out of the way to come home in an hour later and repent and be received and forgiven. You see, our Father wants to forgive us. Our Father wants us restored. Our Father sent Jesus to pay the price so we would be able to have that. Our Father took care of all the contingencies that would come about if we would fail. He let it be, and He always has let it be. If you take this Bible from Genesis to Revelation, everything in it is the way of God is restoration. Everything. You read the prophets, and in every one of the prophets of the Old Testament, they're declaring a way back. He's talking about the punishment, the consequence, and the result of their sin, but he is also giving them a way back. God has promised that in the end of all of this that's going on, Israel will be restored. He will receive them back. There are two restorations. There's the catching up of the church, and then in the end of all things, there's the restoration of Israel. Both are imminent. Both will take place. But we have an opportunity in the book of Romans, Paul said it this way. He talked about the grafted in tree. 
the olive tree. And he said he plucked off the branches that were not bearing anything. And he grafted us in to make them jealous so they'll come to Christ. And it's working. <laughs> you see, God, anything he does, it works. If we'll just trust him, it always works. He hasn't failed, never will fail, can't fail. But we can. If we turn from him, if we willingly live in sin, and I read to you what they are, so if you're living there, I can't do anything about it, but you can. In fact, you can start today and separate yourself from the sin nature. That means making some hard decisions. Lisa, can I tell just a bit of your story? The day Lisa got set free, she was right back here. And Holy Spirit set her free. That day, she made a call to her lover, her live-in. And she told her, I'm not coming home. We're not doing this anymore. Why? Because Holy Spirit had already moved on her and changed the thought of how she was living and said, I've got to make a change. Hard? Absolutely. Walking away from what you have had? Yes. But living in Christ? Far greater. But you had to make the choice. I had to make a choice when I was living in sin. She was praying for me. She was holding fast. I was being dumb. But when I made the choice, I had to walk away from that which I was back into what I had and what I should be. And I had to do it instantly. This is not a long drawn out thing. Well, I'll work through it. You're either in sin or you're out. If you're in, it's time to get out. If you're caught in it, it's time to get out of it. The trap is set, but God has the freedom for you to come out of it. And so, the Lord would say, I have come into this place and I no longer come, nor really have I ever come as a visitor. You use the term visitation, but I want you to drop that term because I do not come in a visitation. I have come to inhabit. I have come to occupy. I have come to be in you and with you forever. I do not visit you. You do not invite me. I come of my own will and of my own choosing. And I walked into this place as an inhabitor. I did not come to participate with you in your religious activity. I came to overtake you with my power. I did not come to participate in your stuff. I came to lead you in my way. I didn't come here to make a friend. I came here to be king. I didn't come to ask your opinion. I came to deliver my edict and my command. I am not here as somebody who just serves you. I am here as the soon coming king who walks in you, with you, and for you. I am here to deliver you out of every aspect of darkness and walk you into my way. 
I have not come to this place to pat you on the back, to make you feel good, or to stroke your ignorance. I have come to grab you by the hand, walk you out of the jail cell of the prison of death, and take you into my eternal life. I have come that I can bring you to the fullness of everything that I am and carry you into the glory that I have prepared. Even now, I am bringing you into that place. If you will reach out your hand and let me take it, I will walk you through it, I'll walk you out of it, and I'll lead you into my promise. It is your time to walk with me, and it is my time to be your king. It is time for you to turn and remove your heart from any form of wickedness. It is time for my body to separate yourself from the things of this world and begin to covet and look for and seek after my righteousness and my goodness. I have called you for such a time as this, and I have made you to be in this generation and in this hour so that I can use you and you can see my glory manifested in your friends, in your loved ones, in your neighbors, in the marketplaces, in your workplaces. Everywhere we go, you and me, I'm going to manifest. If you will listen, if you'll walk, and you'll hold on, I'll never turn you loose. I'll never let you go. I will saturate you and carry you into my glory every day of your existence.